I wanted to be very broad in what kind of green spaces I included on the map. Mm. And I was trusting educators to know if this was a usable space for an outdoor classroom. What impact, if any, do you think a digital platform like MyPines could have on outdoor experiential ed? You know, hopefully it's enhancing it all. First, to start with collaboration and start with reaching out to other groups who already know of nature spaces that are being used as outdoor classrooms. Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers. This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... I think the goal always is to not reinvent what's already working, but to establish connections and relationships among groups and areas that are already doing doing it right. <laughs> So I think what's great about My Pines is it is really about connecting people to community resources that are already there. So nobody has to reinvent it if you know all they need to do is, is find the place and get and get there, then there's there's resources available or The canopy has fully leafed out in this section of hardwood forest at the Pinckney Recreation Area in southeastern Michigan. A few trilliums are hanging on, but for the most part, spring wildflowers are done for the season. The forest floor is so shaded now, save for some flecks of sunlight dappled here and there. A quick search on the My Pines app has led you to Pinckney. My Pines, or Michigan Partners in Nature Education Space, is the result of a collaboration between the Michigan Alliance for Outdoor and Environmental Education, or Mayo, and the State's Department of Natural Resources. Ian chatted with Mayo President Bridget Booth and the builder of the My Pines app, Leah Higgins, about how digital tools like this one can connect people to the outdoors. So the My Pines project is all about connecting people to green spaces. It's kind of like a one-stop shop for green spaces in the state of Michigan. So I thought it would be a natural place to start to ask about green spaces in Michigan that are particularly meaningful to you. Let's start with Bridget. Are there any green spaces that are very near and dear to your heart? Yes, actually. The, the first thing that jumped into mind is Waldemar Nature Center, which is um, kind of on the the southwest side of Lansing. And that's dear to me because that's really where I fell in love with environmental education. Um, I was a summer camp counselor and eventually, you know, stayed on and worked school programs and, and became the, a program director and really just learned um, all about teaching kids outside. And it was, um, it's just a beautiful place and a beautiful property. And so that's stuck with me for a long time. It's what made me become a certified teacher mm -hmm. and um, still incorporate a lot of environmental ed into my, into my classroom instruction. So um, yeah, it's right, right by the Grand River and um, just a, a beautiful spot, lots of different types of wood, you know, habitats and 
yeah, great place. I would imagine the spring wildflowers are rather impressive at this time of the year, early May. Yep, now's the time to go looking for them. Yep, trilliums, trout lilies, and the like. Absolutely. How about you, Leah? So um, I was thinking about this question and I was struggling a little bit, but actually as Bridget was talking, one occurred to me and I'm like, no, that's, that's it. Um, my childhood home, about a quarter mile walk down the road, there was this little bridge and um, it took us over this uh, branch of the Red Cedar River, which uh, my house at the time was located sort of in the headwaters there. And I just have so many fond childhood memories of sort of running around outside in this space where the, the river is forming and you have this nice wetland sort of swampy area and just really connecting with nature there, you know, checking out the frogs, digging up tadpoles and crayfish and whatnot. And so I think that's sort of where my appreciation of green spaces really began. Sounds like the idyllic childhood. <laughs> And I can certainly relate just because Ontario and Michigan are so close to each other and we share a Great Lake, at least we share multiple Great Lakes. We're in the Great Lakes Basin. Every raindrop that falls on Ontario or Southern Ontario and Michigan is ultimately all going to the same place. So I can very much relate to it. So let's pivot over to the My Pines project. And I, I love how Pines is integrated into the name. You wanted forests to be a big part of the acronym, and it was, as you said before we started recording, an easy way to, uh, or PINES was an e easy acronym to fit into it. So just kind of from a conceptual standpoint, what is the ultimate goal of having this online one-stop shop? I mean, for me, it was it's very much set up like a restaurant search engine based on maps, where you're <laughs> like, all right, I want to find all the places to get pizza and you go on this interface and you can find it all. But instead of for pizza, it's for green spaces of all kinds where people can interact with nature and engage in environmental education, either self-directed or otherwise. So what is what was sort of the conceptual groundwork of this? So this project has been in the mind of Kevin Fraley, who I know you've connected with and, mm -hmm. and listeners will be able to read an article by. And so I can't speak to kind of where he came up with this, but when I came into the project and he sort of said, hey, I think you could execute this aspect of it for me. We were really thinking about wanting to help people connect to nature spaces that maybe are sort of hidden away in corners of not just rural areas, but urban areas and sort of taking the, how do I put it, this idea that the digital and the natural are sort of separate and, and trying to say that that's not necessarily the case. We can sort of pull these together and we can have this tool that allows people to reach out and find places they maybe wouldn't have found before. And I do think part of this is because, as you put with pizza shops, a lot of people do go looking for places online now. So to sort of bring that aspect into it was what we were looking for. Right. Part of, of the idea or the premise as well is, is to really try to remove as many obstacles as we can for teachers to access, you know, what's already available. Um, and, you know, the ultimate goal is to, to get people teaching and learning outside and if, if they can go and easily find a place to do that, if their school grounds or, you know, wherever they live doesn't have a green space right outside their door, they can still find something quickly and easily without investing a ton of time. 
using this tool. So I think making it as easy for educators as possible, it was a big part of the project as well. And the digital world is not going away anytime soon, ever. <laughs> I think we can probably safely say that. And why not use it to our advantage? I mean, I, I look at it in the same way that I think you can look at credit cards. There's a downside and an upside. People love getting points, but they don't like being in debt. But you can get points and not be in debt. You can use digital tools to get people outside without some of the other downfalls of digital tools like too much time on screen. So I think it's a, a very impressive example of the confluence of two worlds that maybe seem opposed but are perhaps more compatible than we think. Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a nonprofit that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. For only $32 a year, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. Pinkney is described online as a paradise for backpackers, mountain bikers, anglers, and other recreation enthusiasts. Well, then it looks like you're in the right place. So, elephant in the room, of course, is COVID. And part of me, when I was putting the questions together, is like, oh, I don't want to talk about COVID. But I figured because so much virtual learning has been going on, including in outdoor spaces, it was relevant to this to the discussion. So. What role, if any, has COVID played in the development and outrolling of this project? So from my logistical side, I'd say mm. COVID had a pretty strong influence on sort of what nature spaces were able to be reached and, and the amount of vetting that was able to be put into them. Mm. Uh, I tried to pull in and collaborate with a lot of teachers and make this more of a collaborative project. And I don't know all of those collaborators, how is COVID sort of influencing their ability to get outside and check on a nature space outside that they, they could then share on the map. Right. And there was also concerns about sort of accessibility where we're saying, you know, get outside, we want to educate outside, but uh, some areas might ha have had more of a struggle to do that safely. So it's, in my opinion, at least push the project to being sort of this long lasting tool that's going to be up for maybe not just five to 10 years, but could be longer. Bridget might be able to speak more to that. Yeah, I think um, it was started before COVID, right? Yeah, the, the before times. <laughs> yes, the great before, as, as I like to call it. So yeah, Leah and others, you know, had to adapt quite a bit, I'm sure about, you know, the mechanics of putting it together and, and reaching people. In many ways, you know, it seems like it's almost even more relevant and, and usable now because we're learning that it's, you know, ultimately safer to be outside in groups. And so, you know, what, what we've seen in this past year is just a huge uptick in the number of people that are visiting parks and, you know, buying mountain bikes and getting canoes and doing outdoor activities. Oh, yeah. And the, the real hope is that that will translate into teachers bringing more groups outside because it's safer than to have all those bodies in a room. So I feel like this tool will be even more valuable in helping teachers figure out where to do that and how to do that safely. Yeah. And Leah, you mentioned about the accessibility piece of it. Is that mostly related to terrain? 
Um, so I'm thinking we really wanted to try and grab urban and even more pocket-sized green spaces. Yeah. And so in in more populated, denser areas, you know, especially with these mutations and variants, there's this concern that mask wearing one mask and six feet apart might not be enough. And mm. so how do you safely take a group of kids outside and, and use a green space as this learning space with those risks and concerns included and brought in. And so I, I really tried to make sure the map included a lot of vetted information about more traditional accessibility concerns like busing and restrooms and uh, grants that are available at these sites to help get a field trip out there. And so that wasn't something I really could include at the time because the knowledge just wasn't there. Yeah, to think what we have learned over the past 13 or 14 months is staggering. Yeah, it's been um, a huge learning curve for everybody. And uh, figuring things out as we go has been, has been a big part of that. Yes, improv. So I'm interested in knowing if there were any green spaces that sort of fell through the proverbial cracks. Like I, I do some biological field work in the warm season and tomorrow actually i'm going to a property that's like a 15 minute drive from my house in the community where i grew up and i've never been to it and it's this beautiful tract of hardwood forest and there are these little pockets of green space all over and to me i think one of the challenges of trying to find all of the green spaces is making sure that you check all the boxes so what was the process of just making sure that you got everything so I'm going to start out by saying there's a chance I probably didn't get every last green space in Michigan, definitely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I spent hours and hours sort of poring over existing databases. And after I had done that and sort of exhausted myself in that regard, I said, okay, let's bring in other people. And so we developed a survey where um, teachers, Mayo teachers, as well as other green space and outdoor educators could uh, sort of share what green spaces they had already used or had been aware of. And so I believe that's still up on the website, that survey. And from there, I just tried to vet those sites and put them on. So I'm sure there, on, on both sides of that, there were spaces that were missed because it wasn't in an existing database somewhere for me to find, or people just didn't include it on the survey, they didn't take the survey, they didn't add it on. And I think there's also this question of, I wanted to be very broad in what kind of green spaces I included on the map, hmm. and I was trusting educators to know if this was a usable space for an outdoor classroom, but I'm sure in every participant in the survey, that idea of what is a, a green space you can teach with is just a little bit different. And what really constitutes a green space is going to be different, I think, to every person. So I'm sure there are spaces out there that could be on the map. There might be some that people would say, I don't know if I would use that, but another person might. Was there a minimum requirement? There was not a minimum requirement in space or size or density of green space. We just said a natural area that you believe as an educator, you could use this to, to teach about ecological concepts or outdoor education. And it certainly fits with the place-based model that we know is effective and that we hear so much about from folks like David Sobel. You don't need much to have a, a natural experience. You know, when you think about it, you can get, you know, a group of kids 
outside to a parking lot looking for, you know, where plants are poking through the concrete and oh yeah. Things like that. So it's um there's all kinds of ways to to teach outside even without the beautiful, you know, neighborhood park or or whatever, but having some criteria so that it's I mean, I guess there has to be some green. <laughs> for it to be a green space so. at least one plant yes exactly exactly but that that you know when you look at the tool when you look at my pines um there is she, you know they she did a great job of including all kinds of different things like a tiny little neighborhood park to a, you know a nature center that has acres of land so it's a pretty cool variety of, of spaces that are included yeah certainly lots to choose from Hey, it's Ian. I'm just here to let you know about two of our newest books, Teaching Kids About Climate Change and Teaching Teens About Climate Change. Each one is kind of like an educator's toolbox with ready-to-use hands-on lessons focused on four core dimensions of climate change. Visit greenteacher.com to get your copies. We also have special rates available for bulk orders, and all proceeds go back into the nonprofit. Over a small deep, you find a rich patch of May apples. You snap a pick and quickly uploaded to iNaturalist. Something to your right catches your eye. From the visitor's experience, uh, just sort of walk us through. You're, you're a visitor, first-time user, and you're looking for a green space. How do you navigate this? So, of course, you're going to want to start out on the lovely Mayo website and, and navigate to My Pines, the map from there. And from that point, what I would recommend for finding a local nature space, and of course it is hosted on Google Maps, so you can find anything on it just as though you were using Google Maps. But I would start with putting in your address of your school or your home, and it'll zoom you right to that spot and then show you via icons all of the nature spaces included on the My Pines map right around from that point. If you want to be more selective, there are different layers that can be clicked and unclicked. So maybe you only want to look at like local parks. You don't want to see the national parks. Click unclick on the layers and same thing, just navigating it as though you're using a Google map and finding a, a pizza place in your hometown. Or any other kind of food for listeners who aren't into pizza. That was just one example. So <laughs> yeah, it's a searchable engine and I, I've spent some time on it, even though I don't live in Michigan. And to my eye, it's really user-friendly and I'm imagining outdoor education teachers of all kinds or just parents who want to look for a green space to take their kids. It would be super easy to use and just find what you're looking for. That was the goal for sure. I would say mission accomplished. Right. And there's the ability to, to see, you know, what resources are there at the site. So if, you know, you want to, to take your kids, but you don't, you know, feel comfortable teaching a lesson, it, you can find the areas that have staff, you know, people that have program staff, um, or if they have built-in programs on site. So it's, it's really easy to identify the, the areas closest to you where those resources are going to be part of the space. Yeah, there was definitely a, an effort on my part to really make sure, you know, is the site going to have educational resources available? And on some of the sites as well, once you click on the icon to sort of look at more information for the site, there are even links in there connecting to curricula that have already been provided maybe by the people who host the site or even from other educators who have submitted this as a place that they've used in their classroom. Yeah, so one educator's visit sort of builds on the other and you build this database of resources, which I think is 
especially useful now where visitation, as you mentioned, to green spaces is up, yet there are still restrictions in place. Are most outdoor educators, such as guides and nature center staff, back on site now? I, I believe so. I think, um, you know, those that I've been staying kind of in pretty close touch with throughout, you know, when the pandemic started, that was one of the things that Mayo really tried to do was really connect and, and like, how are you doing? What do you need? How can we support you? And, you know, it was pretty rough there in the beginning, but it's mm. been like you said, how much we've learned and, and how much improvising has been going on. Um, just seeing how, how these places are adapting has been pretty phenomenal. So um, I know many places that were still able to run successful summer camps, you know, just having to really develop new protocols and new COVID safety measures, but have been really able to do that and have a summer staff and then still continuing with, with school programs still on site. So I think some places might be, you know, they may have less staff, but it seems like most places are, do have um, program staff working. Yeah. And I think this is a perfect opportunity to sort of dig into these bigger questions, particularly how a digital platform like MyPines changes the role of an outdoor experiential educator. I mean, that's my background. I got into environmental ed as a, a quote-unquote nature geek working at a park. And I certainly saw in the time that I worked in provincial parks in Ontario, a really big evolution in how people experience parks and visitation at certain types of programs. So what impact, if any, do you think a digital platform like MyPines could have on outdoor experiential ed? You know, hopefully it's enhancing it all. I think the goal always is to not reinvent what's already working, but to establish connections and relationships among groups and areas that are already doing doing it right. <laughs> So I think what's great about My Pines is it is really about connecting people to community resources that are already there. So nobody has to reinvent it if, you know, all they need to do is is find the place and get and get there, then there's there's resources available or, you know, if it's a a teacher who's pretty comfortable with, you know, getting a, a group of kids outside and can just teach, it's still going to be a tool that really promotes the place-based education and really getting kids to think more about what's right outside their door and as environmental educators, we know that that's, that's the most important thing we can do is reconnect people to the environment that they see every day um, and recognize it for what it is and, and recognize the diversity and, and how they can you know, make it more sustainable. And um, I think that's the beauty of MyPines. Do you use apps like iNaturalist or eBird? I'm just thinking of other digital programs that can be used to enhance outdoor and environmental ed. Do, do those come into play at all? I, I don't think it's anything that's connected to, to my pines per se, but I think it's the same, you know, the same kind of concept of getting people, especially kids who can get easily sucked into technology. I know having two teens of my own, <laughs> yeah. um, that it's a, a tool to get them to notice more about what's around them. Yeah. So I think that that's, you know, like you said, it's one of those things that you, you want to introduce it, like, you know, something that's going to be useful if, if you're actually using it to experience what's actually out there versus just looking at digital birds, of course, <laughs> going to be the same thing um, <laughs> as going out and trying to identify them. It, and it's the same with, with my pines, you know, you could click around on the map and it's, it's fun to see all the spaces, but until you're actually using it to go physically be there, you know, that's really what it's for. 
I wanted to add, um, but I think an important aspect of my, from, from my perspective was sort of, as you said, building these relationships and connections and sort of having that collaborative mindset in it as I was developing it. And so I know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there had been discussion of having teachers who are perhaps in the same local neighborhood sort of collaborating, meeting up and being connected via my pines to find each other and to develop a lesson plan as a community, maybe not just on their own in their own classroom. And so I would I would say that connects to apps like eBird and iNaturalist in the sideways way and that those are also often oriented towards collaborative projects and taking all of this data that we all have just from experiencing the world and sharing it and connecting it in this digital platform. How do you think it might change the role of a nature interpreter? Again, that's my background being an, an on-site in-field interpreter of nature. Is it shifting the goalposts at all? I don't see it as that. Um, and, you know, my pines is still a pretty new tool. <laughs> So yeah. I guess, I mean, I suppose like the apps in general, you know, you don't necessarily need to have a naturalist there if you can look on your phone to tell you what kind of tree that is. Mm -hmm. But I think people are still looking for connections with people. And I think um, yeah. that there's, there's always going to be a need to go and hear from somebody because an interpreter at a nature center or a park, it's not just about their knowledge, but it's about their passion and, you know, their, their love of nature. And, you know, it's, it's that experience that you still want to have when you go to those places like the park rangers are always going to be cool. <laughs> oh yes. Um, yeah. So I think, especially for kids, you know, they're the experts and, and, and it's just cool for them to see, to see people being excited. And that, I think that's what makes them want to learn more. I think they're always going to get that more from a person than they will from, from an app. Yeah. The medium is the message. Absolutely. Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty. It's so well concealed, you're surprised you even saw it. But you've always had sharp eyes. Now, what to do? Kind of looking back, are there any sort of if-we-had-known-we-would-have-done-differently moments when you think of the development of my pines? I'd say the biggest, if we had known, of course, is going to be COVID. If I had known that was coming, I would have set up a very different process. But other than that, other than what, what we had sort of talked about earlier, I can't think of anything on the logistics end that I would have changed in a dramatic or large way. There was troubleshooting a lot along the way because of COVID, and I would say we did our best to adapt to that just as everybody has been. Out of necessity. <laughs> if someone in another jurisdiction, another state, province, country wanted to replicate something like this, and obviously every location is different, but what would be sort of your top tips for putting this kind of interface together? I would say first to start with collaboration and start with reaching out with to, to other groups who already know of nature spaces that are being used as outdoor classrooms and to really start from that collaborative mindset of pulling in all this different knowledge in, into one place and, and starting from that instead of as I did sort of bringing it in after I had already exhausted existing knowledge that was already on the web. And I, I would say that because 
I think it's important to uh, keep those connections around. And I am thinking of COVID in this, but making sure people are still talking to each other in that way. Were people quite willing to share their, their intel, so to speak? There was uh, a lot of responses, yes. And people who were excited to share were excited to share as much as they knew where I was often going in and sort of editing things down for space and saying, is there any way you can like link me to a homepage where all of your activities are instead of me trying to put like 12 of them onto this one little box for one little site? So yeah, I would say people were very excited to share. They really wanted to be helping others and promoting this, uh, the, the knowledge and resources that they had in making sure that other people are being empowered to educate as best they can. So people certainly embraced the collaborative spirit. Yes. Yes, I would say too, you know, that started with the two agencies that are, that are, you know, that partnered to make it happen. And so I think that for other states or provinces that are, are looking at it, that would be another first step would be because we have, you know, that's the Michigan DNR and then MAIL, which is, you know, the, the networking group of environmental educators so that, you know, we, we have now a way to, to, to bring this cool tool that the DNR has developed to educators, which is which is the goal of the whole thing. So I think that collaboration is a really important piece of, it's a partnership that it's the development of the tool, but then also figuring out how to get people to know about it and use it. So I would, I would encourage people to look at who those partnering groups might be to be able to pull it off. Great. Hi there. You might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now. Speaking of podcasts, Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats, and you know what? How about I let my co-host, Jade Harvey Barrel, tell you the rest? Take it away, Jade. Thanks, Ian. Hello, all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats, our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like busy bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoor learningstore.ca So whether you're a teacher, educator, parent or just a general nature geek there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there Ian? Definitely. Thanks Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favourite podcast app. You decide to back away slowly still marveling at how a striking-looking mammal can just disappear in plain sight when it stays still. Well, we started with looking at green spaces that are very meaningful to you, and I thought it would be interesting to finish off with stories. Everybody likes stories, and I find you can see an afternoon just disappear with sharing stories about encounters and experiences in nature. So I know it's going to be hard to choose just one story, but one one story each of experiences in nature will start with Leah. Do you have a story that bubbles to the surface? 
Yeah, so I was thinking about this, and a story that came to mind was a few years ago, so not a recent story, but it, it was a, a fun story for me. I was at the Pinckney Recreation Area, and I was volunteering with the DNR at that time to remove invasive garlic mustard, mm, which yes. uh, to, to remove that plant, you have to hand pull it. So if you've ever weeded your garden, imagine now that your garden is, is acres big and you're trying to, to weed this uh, very strong growing sort of small low to the ground plant. And so I was walking around in the woods and I was covered in sweat and I felt really gross. <laughs> and I was covered in dirt from ripping up the plants and I had walked into a good share of spider webs. So I was just feeling a certain way. And uh, as I was walking, I sort of came into this clearing and kind of hiding in a corner of the clearing. I didn't see it at first was this little baby fawn and it just sort of looked at me. And I looked yep. at it and I, I felt very lucky to be able to see it. And I thought, I have to get away from here before mom shows up. And uh, as I was sort of making my way out, I came across a couple people who were morel mushroom hunting, as we love to do in Michigan. Yes, and they said, springtime. Yeah. And they said, you know, have you seen any, any wildlife around here? Um, you know, we're looking for the mushrooms. Have you seen any spots where, where these might be? And I said, well, I did see this deer up here. And so they continued on their way and I continued on my way. And sort of as I was pulling out of the parking lot, I, I saw the mom and I don't know, it just it felt very pulled together that day. It was a good afternoon. Excellent. And kudos for pulling garlic mustard. That is no easy task. Indeed. And how about you, Bridget? Yeah, so this was hard because there's a million, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I was a little girl, we had we lived, you know, kind of out in the country, and we just had this um, this amazing willow tree on the property. And I always think about my relationship with that tree. It was you know sort of like a giving tree type relationship, you know, like mm. we were buddies. <laughs> I did everything in that tree, you know. I swung from the branches and you know played with my siblings under it, and um, I I would sit and read in the tree and it was just a great place to you know watch wildlife and it really was a relationship it was a friendship <laughs> with that tree and of course you know there were cornfields and raspberry bushes and just you know being able to grow up where i was pretty much barefoot all summer long and to just love it yeah have these moments and this you know kind of relationship and i'm i feel very like kindred spirits you know trees are are, are just very magical to me. And I just think that that's such an important thing for, for kids to be able to have that kind of connectivity to something, to some natural thing. And I think it's, you know, that that allowed me to have all the other moments that I've had later of, you know, climbing a mountain and seeing the big full moon and feeling that close to it and going out in a canoe on Lake Huron at night and seeing the Milky Way, like so big and bright that it makes you just feel like incredibly connected. And I think, you know, that's what I think of my best, my best moments outside and is when, like Leo said, that feeling of connectivity when you just feel like that's right, we're a part of it all. So, you know, I hope that that's what Mayo can continue to do. What this cool My Pines will do is make people feel connected. That's the ultimate goal. Well, I see a bright 
present and future, both for Mayo and for the My Pines project. And I hope that we can replicate something similar in Ontario. And I hope other jurisdictions all across the map can do something like that because there's great value in being able to have these meaningful connections and the spontaneity that goes along with it. Thank you so much, Bridget and Leah, for sharing about this wonderful project today. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. It's been fun. You didn't see any more deer on your hike, though chances are you passed a few hidden away in the undergrowth. The Pinckney Recreation Area is definitely where you'll take your students next week. Maybe to explore the world of camouflage on the forest floor. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terrien. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon. a lot about like connecting kids to forests specifically and okay. then we sort of expanded it to green spaces and yeah. pines was a really easy tree to make an acronym out of so it would be i just love how kirtland's warblers are so specific in their habitat requirements it's like what 1.5 meters to 5 meter tall jack pines in stands of like 30 to 80 hectares like it's so so particular and i guess that's why there's only like 3500 of them period on yeah. the planet but yeah they're picky